Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams. And I'm Joe Anderson. Hey, Joe, guess what? Today we've got the one and only Paul Dufresne. Yes. Paul, welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Let's do a quick intro to who Paul is. So Paul Dufresne has been president and CEO of Reliability Playbook since 2017. He's got a 31-year career in maintenance and reliability, which means he started when he was about five because he looks like he's 30. So um, <laughs> with roles <laughs> ranging from the U.S. military, Georgia Pacific, Trico, and Koch. So he's the past chair of Society of Maintenance and Reliability Professionals Best, Best Practice Committee. 2017 recognizes SMRP's Volunteer of the Year. He's a member of Society of Tribologists, Lubrication Engineers, and Industrial Council for Machinery Lubrication, where he is a very active subcommittee, uh, where he does very active subcommittee work. He's got more credentials than Joe Anderson himself, everything from lubrication to PDM technologies, plant maintenance, this SMRP and CRL. He's written several technical articles, white papers, and is a frequent presenter and workshop facilitator at industrial conferences. Paul, welcome. Thank you, guys. Holy crap, Paul. That's a lot of stuff. So 2017, you started your own company. Talk to us a little bit about that. What was the driver behind that? Well, you know, it was always a, uh, you know, for the years, when I, uh, over the years when I was working for, you know, other organizations, it, it was always kind of my dream, uh, you know, to one day work for myself you know, you know, the old saying, right, if, if you enjoy what you do, love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And, um, and I can tell you that, um, you know, since making that transition, I mean, I'm working harder now than I've ever worked. But I mean, every day is another challenge. And, and, uh, you know, I really look forward to getting up in the morning and getting after it and working with my customer base uh, to improve maintenance and reliability in their, in their organizations. But it was, it was just a dream uh, and the timing was right. And, um, and, you know, I had the full support of my family. Um, you know, my wife's a stay at home mom. She, she, uh, you know, she uh, raised our kids and then uh, she homeschools my niece. And, uh, you know, she was like, Hey, you know, you've always made the right decisions. I support you. And so, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the universe, everything just lined up and it was time to go. And, and so we made that move. And I will tell you, in, in any new venture, right, the first 100 days really test your mettle uh, because it was like, you know, uh, when you're first getting started. And even though, you know, with all the years working with all, you know, SMRP and STLE and all these other organizations and networking, um, you know, you have a really good database of, of contacts. Uh, but, you know, just getting started and getting everything set up and get it rolling um, you know, after about 30 or 40 days and the phone's not ringing, um, you really kind of start to question yourself on, man, did I make the right decision? You know, and say probably about 90 to 100, 100 days in, um, you know, the email started coming, then the phone call started coming, and then it was the, it was just like a drip, drip, drip. And then all of a sudden, the valve just opened and it was drinking like a, it was like drinking from a fire hose. And, uh, man, it just took off and it's, it's just been a dream ever since. That's awesome. Man. We're, we're so happy for your success. That's, that's really, really cool. And I think Joe and I have a very similar experience. You know, you, you've got this long list of contacts that are really great friends and family and reliability. Um, but 
you know, ask them to cut a check. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, because, I mean, at the end of the day, you really have to look at it as, you know, um, you know, the, you know the, the, the world of maintenance and reliability, even though it's a large one, it is very, it's a very small world, right? And there's a lot of great folks out there that are doing a lot of really good work. And, uh, you know, what, what sets you apart from your competitors and, and really is what is the value that you bring? And I think one of the things that, that has really benefited us is it's, it's not so much, you know, I mean, we provide value service, don't get me wrong, but I think it's more of that personal relationship because we're able to connect with the customer because, you know, where we came from, right? We were in the trenches, in the field, uh, you know, doing this and living this, right? And you know as well as I do, you know, the only way you get 20 years experience in the plant or out in the field is being there for 20 years and, you know, that baptism by fire and learning through failure. And, and you know, we could all write books on how not to do things. And so, you know, it's that collective experience that we're able to bring back and, and help our customer base. Yeah, that's for sure. Man. And I'm glad to see that you're doing well. Congratulations on I'm going out on your own, man. It's it's awesome. It's a great feeling. I've done yeah, it before it, it, in the past. Yeah, it was it was really good, and then this COVID thing hit, man. And you want to talk about a uh, you want to talk about a curveball? I mean, we were, I mean, we were having, I mean, almost three to five hundred percent growth year over year, and then and then COVID hit, man, and that really just kind of you know, put a, uh, you know, just came, everything came to a screeching halt. And then, and then it was like, okay, you got to reinvent yourself. And then you got to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I take these same, you know, these same services and develop a new customer base to where, you know, you can weather this storm and, and, and survive, you know, through, you know, what, what basically the whole world was going through. You mentioned that one, you mentioned that 100 day issue, we were at that mark when COVID hit. So we didn't, we didn't reliability X didn't start till 2019. Right. So, or yeah. And going into 2020. So uh, we were, we were back into 2019. So right when COVID hit is when we were going through that, that, that misery slump you were, you were talking about earlier. Right. I mean, that's a challenge. It was, I was actually, I was, I was, I, I was going to, I was getting ready to teach a reliability class up in Massillon, Ohio, and we had already sent the training material, and um, and I had already been up there a couple weeks earlier doing it, and so this was our second round of training we were getting ready to do, and uh, all of a sudden, I got hit with, uh, hey, hold on, COVID this, and then all of a sudden, man, it was just like the rug was pulled out, everybody went cold, and and I'm like, I, you know, I've got all this collateral sitting up there, all this training material that, you know, as a matter of fact, it's still sitting there. We never got it back back or whatever. And so we're hoping that we'll be able at some point to get back up there and, uh, you know, it beats it class for those guys. But, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, it just came to a screeching hole. Um, no warning, no not, man. It was just bam. And, uh, and so we, uh, you know, I, I'd say that first 30 days, um, it was actually because you're like, okay, well, maybe this will only last six or eight weeks. Maybe it only lasts 10 or 12 weeks. And then, you know, one month turned into three months, three months turned into a whole year, you know, at the, you know, in probably about four or five months into it is, this is when we were like, okay, this is serious. And, and we really got to rethink, um, 
you know, we really need to think about, uh, you know, you know, our deliverables and how we go to market and uh, what are we going to do differently? Yeah. And so now that things are kind of flipping the other way, how's that, what do you think the balance looks like for you moving forward? Because there's still value in, in being able to offer services differently. Uh, some customers may never go back to, Hey, travel wherever you want. And some customers may open wide. So, so how does that, that now broader spectrum of how you deliver change your business? Well, I think one of the good things that, that helped us is, is we're located here in central Florida. Right. And so we, the, the state of Florida never really shut down. I mean, we had to, you know, you know, certain companies or certain businesses, certain, uh, you know, cities may have had some different requirements or whatever. Uh, but we basically where we were delivering to, you know, a large scale, large scale clientele, um, you know, we, we, we refocused our, um, we refocused our efforts to, you know, the organizations that, that can't afford to, you know, have a, uh, you know, a quarter million, half a million dollar, you know, predictive maintenance, reliability type program set up in their organizations. Uh, but we were able to come in and provide that service to them for a fee. And so we started working on building that customer base from that standpoint. Um, we, we just drew a three hour radius around our, our, our home, our home of our home office here. And uh, we just started picking customers off one at a time and really working that. And so now what we're seeing, and it's actually kind of, it's kind of nice is, um, you know, already this year, we've already had a trip up to, up to Cincinnati. We've had a trip up to, uh, up to Tennessee. We've got some trips going to California here in a week. And so I think what businesses are starting to realize, right, is, is a lot of organizations put off maintenance during, um, put off maintenance during COVID. And you, you guys know probably better than all of us around, you know, deferred maintenance, right? At some point, you're going to have to do maintenance. You're going to have to take action. And so I think what a lot of these organizations are realizing is that, hey, you know what, what we've put off is we've now got to pay that bill. And um, and so now, you know, they're like, hey, we got to have folks uh, that come in. A lot of folks, I think, are taking advantage of the situation. And it's just my opinion, uh, you know, where, you know, you may earn more staying at home than actually going to work. And so a lot of organizations are, you know, hurting for you know, uh, folks come in and, uh, you know, to do their jobs. And so that the ability to have contracted services and folks come in and, and provide those services uh, is, is pretty big right now. And we're starting to see uh, a bigger resurgence of that. And I think, I think everything is starting to open back up. And I think this, this next quarter and then finishing out the end of the year, I think is going to be very strong. Yeah, I hope so. With the rumors of this, Delta variant stuff going on. Who knows, man? I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, I got, I've got my own, I've got my own personal thoughts on that or whatever. I think you know when they tried to do the mask mandate and push that on everybody, um, I, you know, th that's run its course. And so I honestly, I think they're, you know, they've got to come with a new spin on a new, um, you know, with a new strain or whatever to put that fear factor back in place to try to try to manage some type of control, but you know, yep. I'm right there you know, with you. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, my, my wife and daughter, uh, you know, caught, caught, uh, caught COVID. Uh, they went and got tested, they tested positive and, um, 
and uh, but my son and I, we did, we were here and uh, and we basically we just we self quarantined for that time frame, and um, they just told him to go home, you know, and it was just like you know treating the cold and everything else, and if the symptoms got too bad or whatever, you know, go to the hospital. But you know, it's um, you know you you got to adapt and you just got to work through it. That's all. Yeah, yeah. So let's change course a little bit. Paul, talk to us a little bit about what your typical approach with your clientele is and and what their level of, I guess, their level of maturity and level of expectation from an outside service provider is. So, um, so, you know, when we during during this time frame, right, so a lot of our a lot of our customers, um, when it comes to having that base knowledge around maintenance and reliability, you know, best practices, um, and many of the situ- many of the uh, many of the instances that we were in, uh, you know, the level of knowledge was was very low, and so um, you know, so the you know the the fruit was kind of ripe for picking, and so what we spent a lot of time doing was educating, uh, you know, educating our customers on best practices, right? Not only telling them but showing them. Uh, and then also, you know, you know, teaching them how to fish too to go get that information, you know, so that they can educate their, educate themselves. And um, and so we've been, uh, you know, we we go in and you know they they may have us co- they want to set up an oil analysis program. And so you know we would come in and and before we even got started with pulling the first sample, you know we would look at how they stored and handled their oil. Right. And are they doing any pre-filtering and what kind of storage containers are they using and all of the foundational elements? Because, you know, once the oil gets into the system, you know, the damage is done if the oil is not in, in in the best condition that it needs to be in. And a lot of it was getting these guys over the mindset that new oil coming into plants is not clean. And they just like they thought oil was oil. Grease was grease. Uh, I can't tell you of the hundreds of applications where. They either had they had the wrong product uh, based on the operating environmental conditions. So it was working through those those fundamental things to get them, you know, on a level playing field within their own organizations, and then pushing back on their suppliers and and working with their contractors. You know, folks coming in to do work. You know, simple things of you know when you come in to do alignments, right? Did you correct soft foot? Did you eliminate pipe strain? You know, all this. When you, we started talking pipe strain, people literally looked at us like, like we were speaking a foreign language, right? And we were talking about, you know, correcting soft foot. And then uh, we're working through an issue right now with a contractor that, you know, the, the, the guy didn't know, how to, didn't know how to eliminate or correct soft foot. And the vibration was really high on a motor. And we're like, and he goes, oh, yeah, but we did laser alignment. And I'm like, okay, you, how'd you do laser alignment if you didn't correct soft foot? And and so it's it's been a lot of time of coaching uh, and mentoring folks on just some really simple, basic, you know, maintenance and reliability concepts that are that are time tested and proven that, you know, if you eliminate them, you fix these issues, your equipment will will run for a very long time. So let, let me ask, you've been doing this a long time. You've, you've probably seen uh, different levels of maturity everywhere you've been. I'm sure you haven't, probably haven't, maybe you have, I don't know, but probably haven't. I know I haven't walked in to take a job and then be at the maturity level that they should be. 
right? No, yeah, I know. I, I understand what you. Every place that I've ever gone into, it was like my starting point at that play at that new plant was was worse than the starting point at the plant that I left. <laughs> right, and so I guess as much information and everything that's out there even today and things that we're doing, why do you think it is that there, I don't know, in my opinion, I guess there's just not a lot of growth in these companies. You would think that we would be beyond the basics by now and moving on to some fancier, funner things. Uh, But it seems that it's just as bad now as it was 20 years ago. And part of that, part of that, I blame, you know, well, I don't blame, blame's not the right word. So part of what I, part of what I see and has always been a challenge is, you know, folks go to a show, they go to a conference, they, you know, they read a, they read a book or a white paper, they do a webinar, they do something. And all of a sudden they get religion like, hey, we're going to go do reliability. Yeah. And what they're looking for is they're looking for the next magic bean that's going to save them, you know, millions of dollars annually. Mm-hmm. But they haven't set themselves up for success by doing the foundational things that they need to, right? I mean, like, you know, we're on the, the internet of things, right? Artificial intelligence. But <laughs> you have all your assets in your CMMS system. Right. Right. You so, have I mean, to go like, artificial I mean, like, if you don't have real. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so we want to, you know, we want to have Watson telling us, hey, that the elevator doesn't work, or we need to send a technician out, or whatever. But you know, the 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 hydraulic power unit that that powers that thing, and the electrum, that that stuff's not even in the CMMS system. And right. so, a lot of times, I, I tell folks, hey, slow down, right? I mean, sometimes you got to slow down to go fast, and you know, you have to really think through it and. You know, I think also you get other or you get other entities in an organization that are trying to manage maintenance and reliability. And I and I throw a big one on the IT group, right? I'm not. I mean, IT folks are great folks, right? I mean, they do great work, but they make sure that we have the system that they need and that they support that system to make sure that that system functions. You're getting folks crossing lanes coming over trying to manage maintenance and reliability that don't understand maintenance and reliability. They may understand systems and they may understand how, you know, a program is supposed to work from a, uh, you know, from a, an installation and a hardware software standpoint, but they don't have the basic fundamentals in, in maintenance and reliability concepts. And so, so you end up getting the wrong folks trying to drive these programs. Right. So what do you think we can do to help that situation? Well, I think I think part of it is, you know, and we can always say, well, you know, folks need to get educated. But, you know, what I see is I see, it, you know, it, it's a it, it's it's cyclical. I mean, I mean, heck, we've been in this for, you know, I've been in the, I've been on the civilian side of this, you know, for almost 20 years. Right. I, I did a lot of maintenance and reliability stuff when I was in the Army. But, you know, I've been on the, you know, on the civilian side, you know, almost 20 years doing this. And what I'm seeing is, you know, facilities that have that have uh, that have reached a level of maturity. But then folks retire, folks get promoted, folks move into different roles. New folks come in, you know, they they just kind of they don't do anything, really. They just kind of let it ride for a little bit. And 
then the program starts to backslide and then it starts to backslide and then next thing you know now that 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 program that was a very mature program is now a very mediocre program or now is a lackluster type program and so they've gone from being you know on that that very proactive predictive side of things now they're 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 heavily reactive and then you know folks retire folks are getting replaced you know companies are running leaner now than they've ever run um you know it's a recipe for disaster what, you, what you're not understanding, Paul, here is that the leader got promoted because he was able to cut costs and maintenance by getting rid of all those programs. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're right. It is cyclical. That's exactly what happens, right? You, you build up this incredible program. It takes You have to invest in reliability. You know, and so I'll give you, it, I can give you the, a great example. So 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, when I was away from Georgia Pacific, Georgia Pacific for a little bit, I was actually I was working for Trico Corporation at the time, and we went into a paper mill in Wisconsin, and we actually did a full blown assessment of that of that that mill, recommendations, everything. Ten years later, I went back in that mill on my own, right now part of reliability playbook. I went back into that mill alone. Still had an old copy of the assessment, right? I pulled the guys were like, "Oh yeah, the the plant looked exactly the way it did." You know, it was just different people. They hadn't done the first thing. They didn't. They, and they were like, "Oh, we need to do this. We need to do that." And I'm like, "Okay, hey, you know, do you guys still have it?" And, and oh, by the way, they still had a copy of the assessment. And I'm like, "Nothing's changed, guys. You still got to do things that were identified from this assessment, but the one that was done ten years ago." See, that's just bad business practice, Paul. You should have resold them that assessment. <laughs> well, uh, you know, um, with a new cover on it. <laughs> now, I, they, but I think that's common, though, right? I, it is common. There's, there's two types of. What I generally see is there's two types of initiatives or, or. You know, I hate to call it a program because it ain't really a program, but there's two types of strategies that exist. There's the person that goes and like you said, they get religion, right? But they don't really have knowledge yet. So they don't know what they need or how they need it. They just, it's shiny. And so I want it. And they typically end up with a low cost provider that uses um, a canned approach, right? Here's the five things you got to go do. Go collect your hierarchy, go do your criticality assessment, go do FMEAs. And they start checking boxes with no understanding of value or how to derive the value. And then you get, then you have the the programs that <clears throat> they want to do the right thing, and but they don't know how to articulate the leadership to get the right level of support. So they'll go down the path of something like planning and scheduling and leadership will go, yeah, but, you know, let's just hire one planner and there's 100 technicians, right? And so mm -hmm. they don't ever see the value and it doesn't move anywhere. So you got tick the box. You've got can't justify because I and all of it drills down to a lack of understanding and knowledge. And with all the knowledge that exists out there, whether you're watching videos or, or on webinars or reading white paper, with all that that exists, how are we still not making a dent? Well, I think I think part of part of what I, one common theme that I do see a lot of right is 
when I go into these facilities, right, they're not staffed correctly. And the folks that they have in there, they're, they're great folks, right? They're great people. They're trying to do the best they can. But you remember the, at the old carnival when you had the old, the guy there with the, with the, you know, with the straw hat on and he's got the 20 plates on a, on a rod and he's spinning those 20 plates, right? He just keeps them going, keeps them going. And I think that's part of what we, what we, what I see in the plant, right? Is that, you know, you've got, you know, all, you know, you've got the, the, the workforce, right? And the folks that are supposed to be implementing and driving these, these programs, they've got too many things on their plate and they're trying to keep all those plates spinning. And what ends up happening is they don't do any one thing to the fullest extent that it needs to be done. So it can be, so that program can be to a level of sustainability. And I always tell folks all the time, right? I mean, if we think about it right now, right? We're halfway through the year. So I tell folks right now, by the time you back out, all the holidays, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas, all these things, you may have four and a half months of actual things that you can, of actual working time left in the year. What are the two or three things? Hell, maybe it's just the one or two things that you can do to the level of sustainability to set yourself up for next year. And, you know, everything else has got to come off the plate, right? We have to get... And I, and I really don't like using the gun, but we got to get laser and focus, right, on the critical things that are going to add the greatest value to the organization. And we got to get those things implemented to a level of sustainability, and then we move on to the next one. And we don't start working on the next thing until that first thing is at that level of sustainability. I look at it back in my military days. We call those priorities of work. Right. You had a list of priorities of work. You started on number one and you didn't move to number two until number one was completely done. Right. And I think if we can may, if we can get some laser focus on the critical few things that we need to have in place for us to be successful, to move into, you know, the you know, the, the next initiative or the following year and stuff like that. I think until folks get that level of thinking that they're just going to continue to do a lot of the same things they've been doing. I think that's a great point, you know, and, and I, I don't know if you had a chance to read it, not to be self-promoting, but the cover story for plant services talks a lot about that. It, it talks about, you, you know, in your analogy, those plates have been crashing on the ground every year. It, it's not going to kill us if they crash this year too, but one of them stays up, right? Like right. get one of them to stay and then, and then work on the next one. Right. And, and I think that's a fantastic point. So yeah, it, it, one of the things one of the things that I've been doing with with a, a couple of my customers because of their level of maturity is we've actually been working on three to five year bets with them, and so what we what we have changed their mindset is, and this is really around trying to help them create competitive advantages in their in their businesses, is is you know folks you know think hey if I just do this one thing better this year. Right. Then I did last year. Hey, I'm going to make that. I'm going to I'm going to be I'm going to improve. But the problem is, is it's only a marginal improvement and they still need they still are probably below the industry standard in their industry. And so what we want to do is get them up on the curve. And so what we've got them to do is get out of that incremental thinking. And we've got them to start thinking, OK, where do you want to be at three to five years from now? And so if we know that in, you know, five years, hey, we want to be producing at X, we want to be, our run rates need to be here, we need to be, okay, well, if that's going to happen, 
and we're here today and this is where we want to be at well in five years well at the at the end of that fourth year then that means we need to be here and then at the end of the third year we need to be here and then at the end of the second year we need to be here and so they can start to see and conceptually visualize that step change that they need to make in the organization and it's it actually gets them out of their comfort zone a little bit and makes them uneasy they get a little uneasy feeling but then they start to see it and then you really get that paradigm shift in the organization to where they get out of their they get out of their own way right and then they start thinking you know what hey this makes sense if we can really do it but then this is where that laser focus comes in i don't need to spend 20 plates this year what are the three or four plates that we need to keep spinning but we need to get them to that level of maturity so as we roll into the next year we don't have to spend as much time and effort on those because they're already you know at, at a self-sustaining level we just need to go in and maintain them and now we can put more focus on these other critical few tasks or or, or uh, objectives that we need to work on and what they start to see is by the end of year two into year three they start moving into that sustained, mature process within their organization. And then the goals are really, you know, in, in reach. And that's, that's good stuff, Paul. Before, before we wrap it all up, let me ask uh, just one more thing. If you had to give advice to the lower mature quartile of people out there, to do one thing well, well, what would that one thing be? Well, the one thing, right? So, you know, I think the um, be good at the fundamental elements, right? Be good at um, good plant lubrication. Be good at, you know, good planning and scheduling execution. Because if you don't, if you don't do those basic fundamental things right, you're going to be in a reactive environment um, and, and you're going to live in that reactive world. And it's just going to be uh, you're, you're going to run yourself ragged. And so if you can really get good at the basics, the basic blocking and tackling elements of reliability, um, sound lubrication practices, good planning and scheduling, because here's the thing, right? You, you could have the best condition monitoring program, right? Vibration, ultrasonics, infrared, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you can't plan and schedule, you'll never get out of your own way. You yeah, got to be yeah. able to plan a schedule and execute work. And if you can't do that, you're never going to win. Now you don't have to be perfect at it, right? But you got to have, you got to be executing some sound fundamental practices in the planning and scheduling area, right? You know, you know, uh, resource scheduling, you know, load, load your resources, you know, uh, I always call it, you know, uh, plan the fight, fight the plan, right, and uh, and work that. And so if you can really work on those foundational elements and, and get those things in place, that'll definitely give you a leg up uh, and, and help you tremendously. Awesome, Paul. So uh, it's good to have you, man. We appreciate it. Where can people reach out to you and, uh, and, and follow you? So uh, we're on uh, we're on um, we're on Facebook. We're on uh, LinkedIn. You can go to our website uh, www.reliabilitypb like Paul Bravo reliabilitypb.com. Uh, my email address is paul.dufrane at reliabilitypb.com, and my phone number is three five two six three six three seven seven seven. 
Uh, if anybody has a question, wants to say hi, whatever, please feel free to reach out. Um, and uh, guys, thanks for having me. I, I, this has been fun. I can I can have this conversation eight hours a day. Yeah, you know we you know we find that a lot, Paul. And <laughs> so this has been just a really brief introductory discussion. We're hoping to have you back on at a later date where we can get into much more detail. Uh, around your approach and your experiences, because I think there's a wealth of knowledge there that we can share with our listeners. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah. Thanks guys. And uh, whenever you guys like to have me back, I would, I would love the opportunity. I think what you guys are doing is, is, is really great. And uh, the more folks that we can get, uh, get this exposed to, you know, with your other, the other folks that you bring on, uh, I think you guys are adding tremendous value uh, to the maintenance and reliability in the asset management world. You know, good job. Thanks, Paul. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Take care. All right. Take care, guys. Yeah, have a good one.